Hey everybody, this is Tim, flying solo today as our good friend and colleague Adam Percy is out finding himself. He has decided that he is going to scale both peaks of Mount Kilimanjaro, so we wish him well in his epic, epic journey. In the meantime, I am here to tell you about our best of episode, which is what's going to follow all of this yammering by me. So we've got not one, not two, but three amazing interviews with people that are a lot smarter and far more talented than we are. So we give to you our listener, Audible Brutality's Brutal Best of 2020. Cue the sexy theme music. Welcome to Audible Brutality, two grouchy musicians humorously complaining about the state of music today. Featuring Adam Percy and Tim Vandevan. Take it away, Adam and Tim. I dug up a couple of our old uh, songs from that Adam and I've been writing together and collaborating probably since probably since like '98, since we met when we were in this band called North Star Jack. Yeah. So we've been sort of bouncing ideas off each other because we've sort of been we both have a love of synthesizers, even though yes, I play drums. But we both have this love of synthesizers. We love electronic music. Um, again, as a drummer, that's, you know, most drummers look at electronic music and go, but uh, um, there's no drums in that. So, like, why do you like that? And the strange thing is, I've always found that electronic music, for me, anyways, really good electronic music, stimulates me in the same way that um, orchestral music does. Yeah. And it's sort of like I'm listening to a, I'm listening to a Mozart symphony. I'm listening to a, a Bach concerto. I'm listening to a Beethoven opera, of which there's only one. But you know, I've I've listened to it and I own it. And it, it, the same way that good electronic music stimulates me, it stimulates me in the same way that orchestral music does. In that the brain starts to think differently for me anyways, you know, I sounded like Ricky from trailer park boys there for a second, you know, with the brain learning and the things in the head, but. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that. Cause uh, you know, actually a lot of the sort of early attempts of electronic music, like if you look at like switched on Bach, Wendy Walter Car- Carlos, um, yes. you know, uh, anything coming out of the BBC workshops for television, um, Incidentally, Lincoln Palmer for crying out loud. Yeah, like, you know, sort of the early days were were these sort of, um, or, you know, even, uh, you know, stuff like Musique Concrète. um, Mm -hmm. All of that were these, in a way, kind of like, they definitely weren't attempts at pop songs. They were certainly more, yeah, I I guess like classical in the sense that they're trying to stimulate you in a whole bunch of different ways, as opposed to just listening and dancing or something, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're, you're, you're transported somewhere and that's, yeah, yeah. It's actually, that's pretty good analogy, man. Not bad for a drummer. (laughs) 
Yeah, I know. I, you know, every now and then I I remember to, you know, sit levelly on the stage so that the drool comes out of both sides of my mouth because that is a more flattering look. So. <laughs> um, but electronic music has always fascinated me and I've, I've dabbled in it a bunch uh, with you. I've dabbled in it a bit with my friend Paul Casey. Yep. I've dabbled in it a bit by myself. And it's always something that it's... I think the trap in electronic music is is falling in love with a sound and just doing that sound, you know, yeah. like, oh, that's so great. And then you do eight minutes of like, you know, and you're, and you're sitting listening to it thinking, this is dope. And you play it for your friends and they're like, yeah, but it doesn't really go anywhere, man. What's it doing? Yeah. You know? And you're like, what? No, my, this is my creative genius. I would recommend people that really want to learn or like electronica that want to sort of get the idea of what it's about. Listen to a bunch of early Orb records from yes. the 90s. and duct tape studio trickery aka how to tape tape how to tape your 421 to a stand <laughs> <laughs> well exactly well uh, if you want to ask me some questions about this cool little device i found it for like 36 bucks so you can probably find them cheaper you probably find them more expensive but so what's this thing again this is the thing that basically you crack open your hard drive and it and it sends drive data like a usb mm -hmm. essentially when you open oh. you open up your hard drive case and inside your hard drive case is a, is a physical hard drive duh right right yeah you know i can hear all the computer guys out there going well duh, what do you think it's not a magic pony inside but so <laughs> it's not leprechauns so that's it so i crack it open and i unplug the there's a cut there's a ribbon cable that was plugged in because it's an it's an older drive so it's ide it's not it's not sata so this device it, it let you connect to an IDE drive after you cracked it open, and it basically treats that drive almost like a USB key? Pretty much. So what you've got is you've got what? the drive. You've got the physical drive itself. You plug this little device into the IDE port. So there's a little power cable that goes from my the Blue Diamond device to my hard drive. Then there's a USB that runs to my Mac, and then I have another physical power, little like wall wart power pack to power the blue diamond that's plugged into the hard drive. I could probably put it, we could probably put a picture up somewhere. Uh, another quick thing that I, I, and you were there when this happened. This was when we were recording acid test in Toronto um, at Vic studio okay. uh, in North York. And uh, it was uh, when they stuck the pencil, they, they literally took elastic bands and wrapped it around the base of the vocal mic. And the pencil was sitting right smack in the middle of the microphone field mm -hmm. so the pencil is attached to the mic and what that actually kind of does is if you have a, a spit guard over in front of uh, behind that between the singer and the mic is it just sort of disperses the wind a little bit so you lose a lot of the sibilance and i was like wow 
that is the cheapest fix for microphone pop I think I've ever, ever seen. Social media, it's a trap. 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 Discuss. So, yeah, um, social media is a good thing, but it should not always be the thing, especially as a musician when it comes to promoting yourself. Um, And there are, I think, a lot of, while there's a lot of benefits to using social media, and obviously, especially now in this time of global quarantining, Definitely, there the, a lot of those benefits are starting to shine through. So this isn't really necessarily meant as a shit on for social media, but it is maybe more sort of something to uh, highlight certain areas where people maybe go a little bit too far or put far too much on social media and not enough mm-hmm. on actually maybe I don't know writing songs, <laughs> for example. Actions, yeah, like, actions, perhaps, yes. Yeah, I see I see an awful lot of people who do spend an inordinate amount of time on social media. And one of the problems with that is that a lot of people don't actually set themselves up to gauge the results of their actions. Tim and I were in a band a while back where we were basically told that that we needed to have a certain level of numbers up on our social media before people would start to take us seriously. Um, exactly. And I'll be honest, that made me cringe a little bit. The idea that somehow that social media is for everyone else and not for you as a musician, in other words, like everyone else needs to see that you're popular and therefore I will like you is stupid. Um, mm-hmm. Social media needs to work for you as an artist, right? So when we were told this, my argument was our numbers aren't bad. We have pretty good numbers on our Facebook page and we're starting to get a little bit of traction on Instagram, which is good. And those were the, really the only two things we focused on. I think we tried Twitter for all of like three minutes and we're like, yeah, this is dumb. (laughs) And and just focused on what was working. And, you know, I wound up telling this person, you know, like I know that every single one, almost every single one of these people who liked our page likes our stuff. And you know, while high numbers are nice and they can be indicative of, yes, like a, a lot of reach. Well, that's not always good, too. You know, this is another thing that we actually had to deal with in this particular band was, oh, wow. You know, we have, you know, so many people following us, so many hundreds or thousands of people following us. But now we have to pay to reach two thirds of them, <laughs> you know. So now you have to start funneling into this sort of system of paying a third party to reach people who you really should already be able to reach because they're the ones who have connected with you in the first place. For instance, when you're in a band, 
you know, so the guitar player comes to you and he's got this song and it sounds pretty cool. And then there's some tweaks and changes that are made by the bass player and the drummer and the singer. And it's sort of now, now it sounds like that band, the time to negotiate as to writing credits and post production royalties, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are not <laughs> when you're putting ink to a contract for something, you no. know, because, <laughs> because then <laughs> oh, all of a sudden no. everybody is imagining that, well, well, hang on a second here, man, this, this song, wait, I, I brought this song. Yeah. You guys made it better, but uh, no, I don't want to share it with you. And this becomes part of the problem. I know that, for instance, Adam and I, whatever we do, regardless of what the song is, or we've always just said right down the middle, who cares? High tide floats all boats with our stuff. Yeah. And that's what Adam and I have always tried to do, because what you do is you take the money out of the equation and you can get back to what you're supposed to do, which is the art. Tim and I are socialists in that way. (laughs) We're socialist assholes splitting everything evenly, distributing the wealth. (laughs) <laughs> the thing is, is that at the end of the day, something that is frustrating for band members is that if you're in a band where somebody has all of the ideas, but then purports that it's a democracy, then you should split everything equally. If you're in a band where somebody is sort of the principal lead and brings in all of the ideas and brings in the production ideas and they're the one that's driving the bus, that sort of stuff, well, yeah. then... Maybe you should look at it in a different fashion and think about, well, okay, so they're going to make their first million before I make my first thousand. Well, is that how, is that something you want to do? Yeah. Like it's kind of like what we were talking about last week where, where band dynamics in general, it's, it's a sensitive spot. It can be a tough topic, Mm -hmm. but in my experience, and I think with yours as well, it's one of those topics that really is like a band aid. It's better to just Mm -hmm. rip that fucker right off Don't try and Mm -hmm. slow peel it and sort of worry about, you know, when you get halfway through sort of going, um, can we talk royalties? Be upfront. Just be like, look, I think we've all kind of contributed this, 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 and this. Try to be democratic about it. Acknowledge other people's contributions Mm -hmm. and say, look, I think this is fair. I think this is a fair distribution of everyone's contribution. Are we in agreement? And if so... You can move on, but just get it out of the way. Just get that nicely out of the way. I agree. Written on a, even on a back of a fucking napkin or something and hold on to that. Just get it done. There's no sense in battling over it afterwards because you're going to probably wind up pretty disappointed. (laughs) Well, I think a good example of that was our, I know that you had a go around with acid test in the nineties. And then we had, then I joined with you in the, I want to say 2013, 2014, 2015, somewhere around there, acid test redux. And when we were talking about the record and the album and stuff, I know that the big conversation that we brought up was, okay, so Adam's got a song and, and Steve's got a song and Lucy's got a song and what's going to go on here? How does this work? And I remember that I had said, well, listen, are we a band? Is this a band or is this the project of a specific person or duo? Right. And immediately it was like, no, 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 we're a band, we're a band, we're a band. And I said, then in that case, these imaginary dollars, because we haven't even recorded song one yet. <laughs> right. So these dollars don't exist. These imaginary dollars should be split four ways. End of story. That's it. Yeah. I remember you said, yeah, absolutely. 100%. And uh, the other two as well, Lucy and Steve, both to their credit, they both said, yeah, absolutely. If we're a band. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Share the wealth. High tide floats all boats. That's it. That's all. In the first iteration of that band way back in the nineties, in my youth, when I came on the scene in that band and when Mike 
who's no longer with us, the DJ back in the Say, 90s. Mike, Car- Mike Harlan. Mike Let's Harlan. talk about Mike. Uh, when we both sort of, we came to the party late. Steve and Lucy had already written a bunch of tunes themselves. So the relationship was a little bit different. And I think, and, and it was sort of in a time too where, you know, I think there were maybe sort of more opportunities for everyone to get some sort of compensation outside of just royalties. Yeah. And, and I think we all kind of did our best to sort of make that as fair as possible. And I sort of give credit to that. I think, you know, we were given royalties on certain things, but there was a lot of time spent on, oh, well, you know, you did this and this took you half an hour, whereas this took me an hour and a half. And it was this sort mm-hmm. of trying to make royalties a wage based on really narrow guidelines as to what you're contributing mm-hmm. that I think maybe I wasn't particularly resentful of that. I'm I'm still not. I actually, I still get royalties from early acid test stuff and I'm actually very grateful for that. But I, I mm-hmm. think having sort of like gone down that road later with like you and with, you know, with played in with friends and with other bands where I have contributed writing it just was easier. It's so much easier to just sort of say, well, there's four members, 25%. Bang. Even if they're not necessarily contributing writing, if you are a band, you are contributing something. You know, like we've talked loads of times about the amount of driving that you did for bands. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that driving necessarily equates songwriting, but without Tim being there to do certain things that other people can't, it's this idea that royalties are, are about keeping everyone on an even contribution basis, songwriting or otherwise, I think is a good one. Even though it's it's supposed to be earmarked for songwriting, I just, I don't want to fucking argue over no. what, how many words so-and-so wrote in the lyrics and therefore he only gets 12.25 fucking percent. I just... <laughs> ah fuck like just <laughs> no I'm, i don't care i'm with you on that i'm with you on that adam because this goes back to my days uh well i mean i got co-writes going back to the 80s with bands i was in but one of the the big the big factors for me was working with my buddy paul and i remember yeah. thinking that you know do we want to be start splitting hairs about songs and who wrote this and you know did did paul okay so paul put that harmony in that spot there but that that harmony doesn't exist without my song so i'm great and i need 100% of it yeah you know the way i look at it is like well without paul does that song actually fucking happen in the way that it's happening right now no it doesn't you know and that's the the approach that I've used when when co-writing with you is that you, so I send you here's an idea Adam here's a really stupid rough idea I have this chord pattern here you go what do you think and you're like hold on that makes me think of this and you send me something back I'm like whoa hang on yeah you didn't change my chords you changed the sounds and you changed the you know and you might have said I'll do this as the verse and this is the chorus flip those two things around and all of a sudden it's like well hang on now this song is starting to take life. Yeah, what? So it's still my song? Not really, you know? We did that with Avro, 1976. Like, that actually was your chord progression that I, like you said, I think I I meat grinded it pretty badly, but in a good way.
I think now is maybe a good time to sort of introduce our very, very first interview. Here's our interview with Gord Clement from NTTX. Enjoy. Welcome to our humble podcast. Is it, is it ever so humble? There's yeah. no pod like home? Something like that. I think it might be ever so crumble. You know, it's hard to say. <sighs> uh, that, now I feel bad that, that we missed out on that title. <laughs> <laughs> Are we allowed to swear? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the internet. Fuck okay. yes. Booger. Um. <laughs> you you actually True. do a cover of uh, is it it's new dress right yeah From I, black I, celebration yeah I did a cover of new dress and then um, I changed princess uh, die to princess Kate I, yeah and I the same really week we released that there was a big thing on the news on the BBC news about princess Kate buying clothes <laughs> at H and M. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Talk about like bizarre coincidence and that that totally helped, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, I I lo- actually I love the 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 change up that you did on that. It, but you also kind of stayed a little bit sort of true to the feel of the original song too, which I thought was great. And and yeah, like you said, a lot of times EBM gets pigeonholed into this sort of like, oh, I just have to kind of scowl into the microphone and that's a good vocal take and I love the mm. fact that you actually like sing that song because it's actually a really good song and sort of from an era when i know like depeche mode at the very least wasn't giving too much of a fuck about what the press said about them because <laughs> the press i don't think were very kind to them at that time yeah and uh so they could really i think they could really actually for that album particularly they could actually sing about things that whether it was hit or miss they they sort of felt were sort of important to say and i thought that was really cool that, that you you decided to use that song out of everything that they have in their well, catalog, they, I they, that was such a good choice. They stopped performing that song live, I guess, out of respect for Princess Diana. Right. Uh, and and I, I always liked the back in in high school. I had the uh, the chorus, uh, "You Can't Change the World" uh, section in my in my Trapper Keeper. Uh, <laughs> 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 because that really that really rang true for a lot of different things about media about social ideas and everything is that people think you can't change the world but you you can but you have to do it through more uh strategic and specific means and then when i was thinking of songs to cover you know i think of song try to think of songs that really have meant something to me that song really meant something to me more than a lot of their their other songs. And the fact that, listen to the lyrics, I mean, holy shit, almost exactly the same things happen today, that things really yeah. have not changed. You know, no. uh, black townships, fires blaze, or oh, the leader says that, uh, oh, we're, we're doing better now, and, and you know, all these things. A uh, jet airliner shot from sky, and I think it was just... Either yeah. before that or after that was the the plane crash in the Ukraine. Uh, yeah, the Grenfell the Grenfell Tower uh, uh, catching fire yeah. in London. Like, like yeah, things it's... don't really change. It doesn't matter if uh, liberal or conservative or uh, you know whoever's Marxist, in power. anarchist. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah, it, yeah. it's uh, it's things are all the same. And when can we stop learning to blame other people and look at ourselves to think? And maybe we're the cause of all this calamity more than anything else. You yeah. Know? 
Hmm. Do you sort of, in, in your music, does that tend to carry over a lot in terms of the stuff you write? Um, like that sort of, those sort of ideas, those ideas about like where, you know, maybe the world's going or maybe you just want to just get people dancing on the dance floor. I don't know, but. Well, uh, it, it, the, the first intention is honestly dancing, but when I write a song, um, typically I start with uh, the bass line. I mean, the bass line is what drives most of this style or any kind of dance music. And uh, I don't really have much of an intention. Very, very, very few times I have an intention of song. So I'm not going to go, I'm going to write a song about uh, Rwandan genocide and then write a song. I, I go, I (laughs) basically, I start a sound up and I go, well, that's a cool bass sound. And then, (laughs) and then then I start writing um, like soul flesh, like, uh, you know, like scat kind of lyrics over top of it. Just, just yeah. kind of making noises that reflect the sound and the and the emotion of it, and then those eventually form into words. Uh, and then maybe it's writing subconsciously. Uh, the only, the, only a couple of songs really like uh, my song Bastion, uh, which is that. And if you don't uh, think like me, your enemy. If you don't pray like me, your enemy. That that was right. written with a little bit of intent because you know a certain leader got elected into uh, the United States, and I just uh, <laughs> uh, it, I just saw a magnification of the. Um, differences between people instead of a coming together of of people and uh Mm -hmm. the the chorus kind of wrote itself when i was sitting i think i think i was playing no man's sky for some reason i write a lot of lyrics playing no man's sky on the playstation um and and i just kind of dropped the controller ran downstairs and i wrote the chorus and i thought okay uh what could i do around this and so I don't really write with an with an intent to say a message, but I think my subconscious gets things out in the lyrics that it, it wants to. I'm not a big fan of writing lyrics and then writing song to the lyrics because a lot of times that's uh, it feels a little shoehorned in. I feel just like. Yeah. Again, Entity X is just me in the studio, so I, I don't. It's not like the old days where I used to be in a in a band and we'd all sit around and we kind of jam together, and then a song kind of forms out of that. Or or Norm would come in with a guitar riff and we'd riff and we'd figure out a song with that. Things all have to come mm-hmm. out of, of me, and it uh, usually it's it it makes sense. Sometimes, like my <laughs> life. But last, I've got two songs that I'm performing live that I really even haven't even written lyrics for. Every time I play it, it's uh, improvisation. Uh, and that song, Die For You, which I have a chorus down for. And then a new song uh, called uh, Counterintelligence, uh, which, again, was started, that was kind of inspired maybe by the all the bs going on with youtube and saying you know take this drug and this will stop you from getting uh covid and and covid uh, uh, yeah. covid was invented as a windows plug-in yeah i'm still i'm still running covid xp over here so uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know so it, it's i mean th- so basically then th- those a lot of times it, when a song has intention yeah, i write the chorus first with uh Bastion, it was like if you if basically if you're not like me or my enemy was was the the kind of intention behind Bastion. And then the new the new song Counterintelligence was basically counterintelligence basically is filling your head. Counterintelligence is what they're selling you. 
and I didn't don't mean that as counterintelligence as in the espionage heaven. The counterintelligence means it's opposite of intelligence. Right. I, I, yeah, it's a nice wordplay. Well, word play, I use wordplay a lot. In in uh, in Bastion, I have uh, stealing thoughts through the haze. Uh, there's a line called stealing thoughts through the haze. Uh, and people think it's like taking thoughts through the mist, but it's not. It's stealing as in the person's emotions have been steeled, which means strengthened. And haze is H-A-Y-E-S, meaning the modem. Gratuitous interview. I'm super excited about the show because we have the one, the only Caroline Brooks coming up. She she graciously did an interview with us uh, a little while back. She yep. is one of the founders, one of the three amazing humans that is part of the Good Lovelies, uh, one of my favorite folk bands. And, you know, the three of them, they're some of my favorite people, too. So Adam and I got to interview Caroline. and That was... Oh. Yeah, a highlight, man. The, the, nothing. Yeah, she's super nice, and uh, we dive pretty deep into some interesting topics. You'll get to hear it mm-hmm. in a minute for sure. Yeah, I, and you'll find out once again the guest is a lot smarter than the hosts. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're kind of finding that it's sort of like you know when the opening band like just kicks yeah. the headliners headliner band's ass, and you're like. Who did I really pay the ticket for? Hmm. Exactly. Not yes. those guys. That oh person. my goodness. Yeah. We're, <laughs> yeah, we're just a couple of up. Yeah, we're just a couple of grouchy old washed up musicians. <laughs> we're we are, we are look, the bit we are the bit players in our own story, as it were. <laughs> we'll go down, down, down into the cold dark ground. We'll be set upon with never to be found. When they ask what's come of us, She's a Juno winner, a CBC favorite, a stellar musician and songwriter, a mom, and she's one-third of the Good Lovelies. She is Caroline Brooks, and she's here with us today. Let's talk about women in music. Um, there aren't a lot of women producers, and I'm, I'm wondering, is that because, well, we're all a bunch of misogynistic pricks that won't let women behind the glass? Is it that women aren't interested in doing that which i doubt like what would be your take because i know you're you're very you and carrie and sue are very invested in your recordings you don't just walk into the studio say okay make me sound great and go home the the decisions are are all made by the three of you along with whomever is producing with you yeah but why do you why would you say that it is what's it why would you say there are fewer women behind the glass driving the bus as it were yeah i mean Tim, I think that it also relates to any, you know, there's there's so so many ways I could approach an answer to this question, but I really think mm-hmm. that I can compare it to women in politics, mm-hmm. uh, women in professional s- settings, women CEOs. Uh, could talk okay. about that. Let me back up. 
There's sort of two, <laughs> there's so many things I want to say right now. Um, sure. <laughs> the first is opportunities early on. So I, it's not lost on me that in my high school, there were a bunch of guys who play guitar in the hallways. And I know, mm-hmm. I know I could play guitar as well as them, but I was afraid to sit with them. And I mm-hmm. wonder why, the, why I was led to believe I should be singing instead of jamming. So what, okay. what is it about how we see women in the industry and how does that pigeonhole women from a very early age? I'm lucky I had great mentors in terms of guitar playing. Uh, I s- sat at home and I, got, I had access to the most beautiful guitars. I had a great teacher in my dad and I, he made sure I learned from other people. So playing was always a huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, I think similarly in production, is it's about the opportunities women have to do it. And I think it's changing. I know a lot of really mm-hmm. amazing produ- uh, female producers. Um, we have folks like Hilka Curtis, who's doing crazy great work. Uh, she did a remix of one of our songs a couple years ago, a pop remix. She does a lot of amazing production, and she's also doing a lot of mentorship, which I think is an important piece here, too, is finding yeah. space for women that feels comfortable, mm-hmm. that isn't intimidating. Um, I mean... You asked me a few questions ago if I am doing pr- production. You know, a big part of that is my inner inner self telling me I can't do it. And that's really yeah. problematic. And I can guarantee if I was a man with the same experience that I've had in this music industry, I would have no problem saying yes. And I know that about myself. And I know that about a lot of my female colleagues is, is where do we feel like we fit and where is it? comfortable for us to press the issue um yeah and i think there are definitely mentorship programs happening that are encouraging women to become producers to become sound techs i mean we tour with female sound techs um and um Mm -hmm. and we have focused on hiring women as much as possible in our work in order to make a place for them uh because that's it it's about finding the place the places for women to really flourish and have access to those same kind of same kind of roles that are traditionally male roles if we look at technicians Mm -hmm. and lighting techs and so on so it's something we talk about a lot i think it also relates to what i was trying to say earlier is if we look at any number of professional careers folks like politicians um you know ceos in large companies uh female representation is not that great it's still not that great it's getting better but it's about creating opportunities for women from an early age and also allowing women who also want to have families and mm-hmm. have a healthy family life to continue in that in in that world you know so if you think about like mm. the rate at which women who are in politics uh, it, it's much lower because we often don't give those women this the tools they need to survive once they decide they are also going to have a family. And this is something I have struggled with tremendously in my career. Um, And I'm super lucky because I feel like I've risen above in a lot of cases. But in order to become an expert in production, it's not something you can just do and then, you know, walk away from for four years while you raise your child and put them into kindergarten. You know what I mean? Like creating an environment in which women can also take care of their families and be great producers. That's not an easy thing. It's not lost on me that the industry that we live in is not super supportive of parents in general. 
we're not asking men why they leave on tour for a month to go make a right. living when they leave kids yeah. at home. But they do ask me that. And I, I right. mean... <laughs> Uh, wow, that's painfully unfair. The, well, yeah. the, quest, the questions are very different. Uh, it's we live in a society that centers women around domesticity and uh, duty and sacrifice, and I right. am okay with all those things. I love my domestic life. I love sacrificing elements of my life. I know I don't love sacrificing elements of my my life for my children, but I do it. Um, mm-hmm. But the there's a duty piece there too that I feel like we we constantly demand of women so much. We demand them to be, you know, caretakers. We demand them to be beautiful. We demand them to be creative. We demand them to be. Yeah. I'm spe- specifically speaking about musicians, but when they become mm-hmm. powerful producers, we question why. Why did they get there? How did they get there? Who gave them the leg up? Who did they make out with? you know, to get to that position. And I look at, you're right, Grimes is an example. Lights is an example. There's people in our world like Karen Kozowski, Brandy Zidane. These are folks that work tremendously hard at their craft and they work so Mm -hmm. hard. And we are just starting to realize that women are as good at this as men are. And we have to create the opportunities for them to not just create the opportunities for them to do it, but to continue to support them through that, whether mm-hmm. they decide to have yeah. children or not. But you're right. There's a lot of things that stand in the way of women being super successful long term in this industry. I mean, it's not lost on me, guys. I'm going to turn 40 in a couple of years. And mm-hmm. like, what does that mean to me? It probably means a lot more to me than it does to a 40 year old guy in this industry. like artists that we are fond of crazy keyboard guys Cra- it, particularly who, keyboard players yeah because yeah, uh, who, do, who doesn't who doesn't love a good keyboard player? no bias here whatsoever but no, uh no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no we we actually have uh today we're, we're gonna do a double mm-hmm. header because we had a really great interview last episode and this episode we have another interview with my very very good friend who i've known since the Oh, God, the dawn of time. Uh, at least the early 90s, anyway. My friend Jeff Heisel. Since dinosaurs roamed the yes, earth. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. My, uh, now I'm going to go play with my T-Rex doll. My friend <laughs> Jeff Heisel. So we mentioned in the intro that you've been busy the last few years. Uh, you do keys for a lot of different bands. Are you writing right now? Are you doing any recording currently? Anything like that? I'm doing, uh, I mean, I'm writing my own stuff. Uh, which is just you know been been working on for the last year and a half, but we are just uh, about to head back into the studio with the trues in a couple days. Oh, awesome! To, nice. Yeah, to finish to you know we we were starting to get to work on a record, and then uh, the pandemic hit, and it kind of all got sidetracked for a while. But we're we're just now you know able to get back in and get together, and uh, we got a couple days booked. This nice, awesome. nice. Yeah, excellent. So, 
in comparing with your current project, current fantasy, uh, a lot of the people you work with aren't in that field whatsoever. So, no. is it just uh, you're a you're a lover of all things music? Uh, is it that you you know this is where the work is? Is it a combination of these two things? Uh, what would you say it is? Because you know some people get pigeonholed into oh he's a honky tonk piano player and he only plays country. You know yeah. So what would you say? What what is it? What what is it with you that you can be, you know be one minute channeling the orb and then the next minute you know be playing keyboards for the uh, piano for the sky diggers it is kind of strange switching back and forth like when i went we had a rehearsal last week and i was playing piano in oregon and i was like oh this is uh <laughs> these keys you know they're they got more weight to them and <laughs> i was like yeah that's right i'm actually a keyboard player but i mean i started off i was a synthesizer kid mm-hmm. you know through the 80s listening to new order depeche mode and howard jones and stuff okay and I was fully on that path of, of doing music. And then uh, I got into stuff like The Charlatans, which then made me buy an organ. Yeah, dude. And then I got into stuff like Drugs, which made me get into the Great <laughs> and I started And I started playing rock and roll. Uh, and then that I did that for a lot of years and you know, kind of made my name being a rock and roll uh, keyboard player, knowing that at some point I was going to get back to the synthesizers, kind of scared about it because i knew where it was going to lead and uh yeah so it's all it's all always been there it's interesting you bring up the charlatans because actually yeah they they sort of came out of the gate as this uh in the early 90s there was that whole almost like 60s throwback crossover northern soul and rock Mm -hmm. hammond heavy kind of sound but if you listen to a lot of their stuff now they're they're incorporating a lot of newer things there's a lot of dance music elements in their new stuff yeah when you do recording like with a lot of bands like the trues do you get to like use maybe more non-traditional quote-unquote non-traditional organy piano kind of instruments get to break out a theremin every now and again or what (laughs) Maybe maybe I should. Uh, I got one of those. Uh, I got one of those uh, Moog grandmother. Oh, dude! Synths, uh, right when they came out, and you know whether they like it or not, every band that I play with, uh, I bring it nice. out to the gigs of recording. I'm like, this is gonna. I'm gonna play this because it's you know amazing. <laughs> so that that Mo, that Moog was your that was basically your gateway synth to modular, I guess. Right? Is that the first piece of kit that you had that? sent you down that path it was i also picked up the uh behringer yeah, dude. model d okay which had a bunch of patch points and then quickly after that i got their neutron synth which has a lot of patch points right but i wasn't really i wasn't really using them until like the with the moog grandmother the way it's laid out is it's laid out like modules there's you know the different parts of the control panel on top are uh you know they're colored differently so it actually looks like the modules and I was like, oh, you know, you just kind of patch one into the other, which you don't have to on the grandmother. But hmm. So what would be your go-to keyboard? Like going, going back to the rock thing. So you're with the Trues. Let's say they, they get yeah. the Canada Day gig next year at uh, in Ottawa or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you got you to gotta show up with one rig. What's the rig that you could do, do the show with? <laughs> uh, so I guess the, the one keyboard that I would say is, is my keyboard is uh, the organ. So draw bars and Hammond organ is uh, is the thing that I kind of do. I I think the best. Nice. Do you do you have a do you have a, a yeah. Hammond like do you have a B three? <laughs> <laughs> I don't ha- I don't have a B three. I have uh, it's like an L 
one something and it's chopped in half. It's the same organ I had back in the Crocs oh, and Rolls wow. days. Too. Okay, cool. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, speaking yeah. of Crocs and Rolls, hey, nice segue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. See that? We sound professional. <laughs> <laughs> we sound like we know what we're doing. <laughs> so studio magic. That's it. That's it. There's an edit right here. Um, so you're originally from Thunder Bay. You you met Adam right uh, during that time when Adam was uh, this young bleach blonde punk in acid test, right? Well, you met him back in those days. Yeah. Oh uh, well, you know, funny enough, I might almost say that I'm here doing this because of Adam. So he's he's to blame. Uh, it was you know, <laughs> he is to blame. I remember I remember being uh, you know it's like I hung out with your band when you came to town, but I remember being at Burger King with you and you were talking about touring and you were like man it's like when you get out there and you're you know you're touring you're gonna love it or you're gonna hate it <laughs> but you know it's like it's one of the one of those two things is gonna be you're gonna have a strong feeling towards it and as soon as I got out on the road I was always thinking of that and and it made me want to go on tour it made me want to leave my small yeah. town and uh, get out and do you know seeing seeing the bands that came through that was my glimpse into uh, the outside world mm-hmm. We have reached the end of the brutal best of 2020. I would like to thank all of our guests. I would really like to thank Adam because, well, without Adam, I would just be talking to myself. Kind of like what I'm doing right now. Hey, hey, the voices in my head, the voices in my head. And, of course, you, the listener, you are the reason that we keep doing this. The music used to join the segments was either Adam Solo myself solo, or us together in a band or project, with the exception of Down, Down, Down by The Good Lovelies. So if you have any questions, fire them off. We love answering your questions. And coming up soon, we will reveal the results of who won the Audible Brutality Christmas mugs. Cue the sexy outro music and happy 2021 to all. Audible Brutality is presented by Adam Percy and Tim Vandeven and recorded remotely on Denman Island, British Columbia and in St. Jerome, Quebec. Music submissions or general inquiries can be made through our website at audiblebrutality.com. Give us a like on Facebook or Instagram. And of course, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the Audible Brutality podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks for listening.